mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for they had, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ.
wanna know you, hear your voice. We're hanging on every word. Lord Jesus, we know that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword able to discern between bone and marrow. So we come to your word this morning that is living and active and, and we yield ourselves over to you, to your spirit's leading, and to the power of your truth, the power of your gospel. Lord, we understand from your word that, that the, the human mind cannot comprehend the things of God. And so we, de we depend on your Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to speak to us through your word. So as we come this morning, as we open up your word, May it jump off the page into the depths of our heart. May none of us leave here untouched by the power of your gospel. Change us, transform us, do your work, and have your way among us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. So Caleb and I were fortunate enough this week to have participated in the annual Evangelical Free Church Theology Conference at, at Trinity Seminary in, in, um, in Chicago. It was a good week, and as always, it was a time of drinking from the fire hose on all things theological, all things essential to the gospel. And I know that you're excited about that for me, and I'm guessing that's in the category of good for you, and I'm glad I didn't have to go, probably. But in terms of our topic for the last few weeks of organic outreach, and as I think about it this, this last week and measuring my own outreach temperature, I'd have to say my outreach temperature this week is kind of low. And as I think about it, there's probably good reason for that. I'm thinking the 400 pastors and missionaries that I spent the week with Probably we're all Christians already. At least I'm guessing so. And I didn't have any opportunities like sometimes happens on the flight down to Chicago and back. So my engagement, my opportunities kind of blend themselves to a lower temperature reading this week. And I'm wondering, how are you doing this week? How would you rate the fires of evangelism in your life this past week? So my question is, have you been praying? Have you been seeking opportunities? Have you had discussions or maybe some door openers into relationships in the last week? Maybe you've had the opportunity to share the gospel with someone. So some weeks the fires of evangelism are hot and others like mine this week don't seem to favor a, a fire for evangelism. It's natural that the, that the passion, the flames for evangelism ebb and flow. So I ask again, how was how was your week this week? How would you measure your evangelism temperature this week? So in our discussion here and in our Sunday school class and in our life groups, I hope you've caught the idea that leading someone to Christ is a process. And it's not always a linear process. Sometimes, sometimes we, seem to, we see forward progress and other times it seems to take a, a step backwards or to lose ground. Is, I hope you're getting the idea that sharing Christ with someone is a, is a matter of relationship and it's, a, and it's a commitment to that relationship. So leading someone to Christ is our goal and it's our passion. 
But not, it's not always, not all the time, that the next step in that relationship is sharing the gospel of Christ in its entirety. We wait for open doors. And there are times when the door opens and it's time to clearly share the gospel of Christ. And that time may come quickly in a relationship. It may come in the same conversation or in some cases it may take months or years for that conversation to evolve. We have to earn, earn the right to be heard. So if you're sitting in on the Sunday school class, you're, you're, you're learning of the transitions that usually occur in the heart of someone, um, in the mind of someone, in the life of someone who's, who's on the pathway, the journey to accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior. These, these transitions include, I was going to call on Tom to share them with us, but I'll just, I'll just peel them off. Um, moving from distrust to trust, from complacency to curious, from being closed to being open, from meandering to seeking, and finally to making that step across the threshold into the kingdom of God. So we're studying a book in our Sunday school class that lays out those transitions, and, and though it's not a hard and fast rule, it seems to be the pattern for most, most postmoderns to follow in their, in their faith journey. So today we come to the last letter in the BLESS acronym that we've been working on here during our worship times. The last letter is S, of course. And it represents the important step of sharing your story and the gospel story. In other words, it's, it's sharing God's story. So today, as we, as we open up God's word, I'd like to focus on God's story, what we call the gospel. Next week, we're going to discuss the importance of our testimonies, our personal stories, our personal faith journeys and how God uses those for his kingdom. So I don't know about you, but I'm glad the S, I'm glad that this S is in the equation. Too many times it isn't. And if this S weren't in the equation, in the acronym, we wouldn't be wasting our time with it. You see, my observation is that as Christians, indeed my fear is that we tend to spend all our time in relationship building and we never actually get around to sharing the gospel. Sometimes we grow lazy. Sometimes we grow complacent in our relationships and, or sometimes we simply don't feel equipped. And whatever the reason, actually sharing the gospel can get lost as we build into our relationships. And frankly, I don't know if this is true for you, but I'm, I'm quite certain that the Holy Spirit opens doors for these conversations more often than I realize. I think he's at work in bigger ways than I tend to give him credit for. So it's a huge tension for us in this conversation of outreach, sharing the gospel. So I want to look at that important aspect of the blessed principle today. My goal is to give you an understanding of the gospel and its power. My prayer for today is that we all leave here with a renewed passion for the precious gospel that we have been entrusted with. So, first thing we need to do is define the gospel. So I, ask, I wonder, I'm asking you this morning, how do you define the gospel? How do you answer the question of the gospel? What is it? When asked if you shared the gospel with someone, what exactly did you share? Is the gospel a complete package of information, or is it a little of this truth or a little of that truth? 
And if a conversation evolved to a point of being able to share Christ and someone asked you, what does the gospel means, mean, what would you say? How would you clarify it? How would you define it? The word gospel simply means good news or good tidings. When you share the good news, when you share the gospel, you are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, the glad tidings. The roots of the term gospel go all the way through the Old Testament as well as the New. It doesn't just start with the New. In the Old Testament, it seems, for the most part, it proclaims the nature of God, the, the presence of God, the redemption of God, the work of God, the activity of God. The gospel good news in the Old Testament is God-centered. And, and all throughout the Old Testament, the good news proclamation points forward to a coming Messiah or to the sent one from God, Jesus Christ. So when Mark opens up his gospel, his version of the gospel, his eyewitness account of the gospel, he begins with the beginning, this is verse 1 of Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the idea of the gospel is, is so when someone asks me what is the gospel, I'll say it might mean the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It might be in the, mean the gospel of, 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 of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection to new life and his invitation for us to join us. It might, oftentimes I'll say it's the whole of Scripture because the gospel is woven into the Old Testament as well, and we won't take the time to flesh that out this morning. So when, John, when Mark says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he's saying is this is the realization, this is the fulfillment. We're not looking ahead to the Messiah anymore. Messiah has come, and now we'll, we'll drive this stake in the ground, and we'll tell you the gospel from this point forward. This is the beginning of the gospel. The Old Testament is not disregarded. In fact, the Old Testament is, is quoted often by Jesus and in, and in the New Testament. But it's always seen in light of the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. So Mark starts the gospel with the arrival of John the Baptist, proclaiming Christ as the fulfillment of the gospel. It's everywhere. The word gospel, in, in fact, the word gospel occurs 76 times in the New Testament alone. But that still doesn't get us to a definition. So for that, I'd like to spend some time in Romans chapter 1 this morning. And I'd like to read verses 16 and 17. When I hear the word gospel, my thoughts automatically go to these, these two verses. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm going to read that again, okay? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For Paul, the gospel is, is everything. The gospel is life. It's, it's his calling. It's, it's his passion. 
It's the message that he has given his life to and toward. So what is it? What is this gospel message that, that Paul says he is not ashamed of? That Paul says is the very power of God. So we could look in a lot of places for a definition. We could go to John chapter 3, verse 16. We could go to 1 Corinthians 15, Galatians 1. We could pick out several passages in the New Testament that would help us to flesh out this idea of the gospel. But actually, we don't have to go very far because Paul lays it out right here in Romans chapter 1. So to do that, I'd like to spend some time looking at his definition of the gospel. Go back to verse 1. We'll go back to the beginning of the chapter, chapter 1 of Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So that's his introduction to the letter to the church in Rome. But in it, he defines what the gospel is. So let's walk through it a little bit. What do we learn about the gospel? The first thing that we see here is, is that the gospel originates with God. We've already discussed that the gospel spans the entirety of Scripture. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he... You see, the gospel is the good news of, of God the Father. It's the love of the Father turned towards his fallen creation. The fact that there is a gospel tells us much about God. He speaks. He reveals truth. He is loving. He is pursuing. He is righteous. He is holy. It tells us that he keeps his promises and that he's had a plan since eternity past. I recently ordered something online. And when I got the shipping email back, the, the shipping notice back, I, I saw that it was written in Chinese. And my package, I realized, was coming from China. And I actually got a confirmation code that I could track the shipment with. I never did this, but it was in Chinese. I never tracked it. I, I didn't think I needed to track it from the interior of China. But I, I imagine that there's somebody in China who's putting my order in a cardboard box and they're writing my name on it and then they're sending it off to someplace in America. So after three or four weeks, I will receive this package tomorrow. I've already gotten notice of it. It made its way from China all the way over to here. But I want you to understand something about the gospel. Ephesians 1 tells us that God has ordained the gospel. He has ordained his plan for fallen humanity since the foundations of the earth, since eternity past, God has ordained this gospel message. You see, it, or, it originates with God. And God, I'm, I'm picturing this, God has, has originated this plan of redemption, this good news of the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. 
And he has written my name on the package. And he said, I'm going to send this through the millennia, through the eons, through the decades, through the generations, and so that they land in his or her life, and their life will be transformed. You see, God has sent this package, and I want us to understand that this, the gospel is something that God has originated. It's, Paul calls it the gospel of God. God has originated it. He has packaged up in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, and he has sent it to you. I want you to grab a hold of that idea today. And he has sent it across the millennia with your name on it. God is a pursuing God. God is a pursuing God. And he has pursued you. Also that we can know his offer of life, his offer of grace, of redemption and forgiveness and truth. Any of these thoughts make for good entry points into a presentation of the gospel. As I will often say in a conversation, God speaks. Would you like to know what he is saying? That's a great entry point for a conversation. Number two, let's keep going. Set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son. So the second thing we learn about the gospel is that it focuses on, it centers on Jesus Christ. You see, the, Paul says the gospel concerns his son, Jesus Christ. The gift of God is Jesus Christ, his only son. Paul tells us that the prophets of the Old Testament told of him, spoke of him. Paul tells us that the scripture, the Old Testament law, spoke of Jesus we were told, in, 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 as he goes on, he says, concerning a son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God. Let me go back. Descended from David according to the flesh. We were told that this gospel, this, this son, Jesus Christ, would be in the line and the heritage of King David of the Old Testament. The gospel tells us that he was promised that he would come and that he would walk among us and that he would be like us. On the other side of the coin, Paul tells us of Christ and his divine nature. You see, not only was he a man, not only was there physical evidence of his life and physical proclamations of his of arrival and his coming, but the Holy Spirit as well declared him to be the Son of God. Look at verse 4. David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead by his resurrection from the dead. Not only was he a man, but he was the son of God, fully God, fully man. This is confirmed by the Holy Spirit himself. He testifies that this is Jesus, the son of God. The resurrection from the dead is in the gospel message. It's, it's foundational to the gospel message. The resurrection from the dead is the evidence of his divine nature. His resurrection also points to his death. He died for our sake. See, Paul doesn't go into detail here, but the death of Christ to pay for our sin is essential to the gospel. The gospel points to Jesus. The gospel points to his death and his sacrifice on the cross for us. The gospel points to his resurrection, and the gospel points to his title as our Redeemer King. Number three, 
Verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. Number three, he bring, the gospel brings transformation. Paul simply says it this way, we have received grace through Jesus Christ. But I wonder if we were to take that word grace and if we were to ponder for a moment the blessings of the cross, the blessings of the resurrection, the results, the blessings of the gospel message itself, how would we fill in that blank? Paul says we have received grace, and he, he, he also includes apostleship. We'll talk about that in a moment. But let me, let me put the question to you this morning, and I'll wait for an answer. What comes as a result of the gospel message? Beyond grace, what comes? Gratefulness. Peace. Peace with God and peace with one another. Change, transformation. Hope. Hope. Joy. I, I can't hear you. Purpose. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody over here? Responsibility. Yes. We could, we could go on. We could make quite a long list of the, the benefits of the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it brings about transformation. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I think one of the, I think when we think about the transformation of the gospel, forgiveness is one of the arenas where we see it most vividly portrayed. How many in the room here think that forgiveness is easy to do? I think it's easy the first time around, but then when it keeps coming back, and when I keep repeating the story or the offense or the wound or the hurt, it gets more and more difficult. But Jesus says, not only have I forgiven you, but I'm going to walk you through how to forgive others as well. In fact, the way you forgive others is the way I'll forgive you. Forgiveness is the, is the World Series arena of this transformation process. I wasn't planning on saying this, but did you follow the prayer breakfast this week? The national prayer breakfast? Did you follow that? I don't have the, I don't have the exact words in front of me, but President Trump and Nancy Pelosi sat five seats apart the day after the State of the Union message at the National Prayer Breakfast. And I, I didn't watch it, I didn't see it, but I understand a, a gentleman by the name of Brooks, I don't know his story, he was, he was the keynote speaker. I don't, I don't know his story, I don't know who he is, but he challenged people of faith to rise up for the sake of our nation, for the sake of relationships and unity in our government. And as I read what he was saying, I thought, you know, what he's, you know what he's saying? I don't even know if he knows what he's saying, but what he is saying is let's apply the gospel to our, con our conversation, our national conversation. Let's apply the gospel message of hope and reconciliation to all that we do. And then as I read further, President Trump got up to speak and he talked, he talked about the hurt of the process that we've been through as a nation. He said, this, has, this process has has hurt our nation, it has hurt the lives of people, and he said, it has hurt your president. You see, we see the wrestling back and forth, 
we see the front page headlines and all of that. We don't understand the, the hurt that goes on in the depths of a human soul with this kind of struggle. And the president acknowledged that. This has been hurtful to your president. And then he went on to explain, it's hard for me to hear, speaking to Brooks, it's hard for me to hear your message of forgiveness. But I'm trying. He said, I'm trying. And he, he went on to talk about it. And he said, but I'm finding it very difficult, as well he should. You see, that's, I don't know what's going on in our president's heart when he says that. But I do know one thing. That's exactly the arena that the gospel works in. When you can stand up and say, I don't know how to do this, and it hurts beyond all imagination, and I'm trying, that's where the gospel can be implanted and the gospel can break strongholds. The gospel transforms. The gospel transforms. Let's go on. He go, in verse, verse 5, he says this, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. The gospel calls for a response to bring about the obedience of faith. The gospel calls us to not only take in the truth of God's love and the sacrifice of Jesus for our sin, but calls us to place our faith in him to turn our lives over to him. Faith means that we entrust ourselves to his leadership. We place our lives in his hands. It means we turn our circumstances over to his power and we walk by faith for the balance of our days. It means that we obey his word. It means we yield to his truth and it means we trust his promises. See, the gospel calls for a response. The gospel calls for us to make a decision. It's up to us to walk, to step into that obedience, to step into faith, to yield ourselves. As we sang earlier this morning, a few minutes ago, we sang that when, when God comes, we fall to our knees. The gospel calls for a response. And number five, Paul says, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And in verse, in verse 1, Paul says, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle. Now, I don't believe that we're called to be apostles, but for Paul, he was. Yielding, yielding his life to Christ meant that he was forever changed. It means that he now had a calling. Somebody in our list of results, somebody said purpose, and here it is. The gospel leads us to a calling, to a purpose in our lives. Paul became a minister of the gospel. Look at Romans chapter 15. Keep your finger in Romans 1. But look at Romans chapter 15. Verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. For Paul, 
for all of us, receiving the gospel message means that I respond as the prophet Isaiah did in the presence of the Lord, here am I, send me. The gospel means that I wake up every day and I ask the Lord to use me, to use my mouth, to speak through me, to lead me where he will, to take me into conversations where he can use me. My vocation becomes following Jesus. The gospel leads to calling. So, let's compare these thoughts. Turn with me, if you would, to John 3.16. Let's just see how this plays out in other definitions of the gospel. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Do you see it in there? Do you see those, 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 those messages in there? It's all about Jesus Christ. God loved the world, calls for a decision. Look at Luke chapter 24. Turn back a few pages. Luke chapter 24 for another definition of the gospel. Luke chapter 24. I'll start at verse 45. Verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. See, remember Paul talked about the, the law and the prophets, speaking of Jesus. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And we could go on, but I think in Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 10, speak as well of the gospel message, for by grace we have been saved through faith. All of them contain similar ingredients. They may say it differently. They may have different emphases, but they all have the same message. It comes from God. It's centered on Jesus Christ, etc., etc. When we share the gospel with someone, it means that we are sharing these truths in one form or another. And hopefully, hopefully we're able to share it all in one sitting. Sometimes, however, we, we don't get the full discussion. and We're only able to share one element or another. So don't be discouraged by that. Share what you are able, when you are able, as the Spirit leads and the Spirit will do the rest. Now let's go back to Romans chapter 1, if you would. Romans chapter 1 to verse 16, where we, where we started off our journey. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says the gospel is the power of of God. So stop, I want, to, I want to stop and take a look at that word, power. Simply stated, it means might, it means strength, it means ability, but this word also has a supernatural aspect to it, a divine aspect to it. Power means to have strength or influence over our circumstances. It means to have a supernatural influence over natural things. That's, that's where this word power is getting to. Now, the Greek word 
for power in this case is dunamis. Dunamis. Do you have any guesses what English word might derive its meaning from this? Dynamite. Dynamite. I would just like you to lock that in your brains. The power of the, the, the gospel is the dynamite of God unto salvation. It's unbelievable. Properly used, dynamite can break through strongholds that otherwise would not give way. It can make big rocks into little rocks. It can unblock log jams in rivers. And you've see, we've, we've seen the old pictures of log flotillas going down the river and getting stuck at a corner. They use dynamite sometimes to, to blow it up so that it frees the log jam. It can break up areas of, large areas of hard soil that stand between us and buried treasure. You see, the good news of the gospel is that it points to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It points to his resurrection. And it is strong to destroy the strongholds in our life that keep us away from Christ. And as we've already seen, this power is, is unleashed in our lives and it's unleashed in the world around us when we agree by faith to let Jesus Christ assume his rightful place as Redeemer and Lord in our lives. Next to the Apostle Paul, it is said that Augustine is, is said to have the most influence on Christianity in history. The testimony of Augustine is a, a picture of a remarkable transformation. I understand that his life was that of drinking and carousing a, a wild lifestyle. Augustine tells the story in his book, Confessions, written about 400 A.D., he had been listening to the preaching of Bishop Ambrose and he came under great conviction of sin and he met the Lord in an incredible way. Augustine tells the story like this. As he was listening to the gospel, so I was speaking and weeping in the most bitter contrition of my heart when lo, I heard from a neighboring house a voice as of a boy or a girl I know not chanting and often repeating, take up and read, take up and read. And instantly my countenance altered. I arose, interpreting it to be no other than a command from God to open the book, to open, open the New Testament, and read the first chapter I find seized. He was doing the holy flip. He was doing the holy flip. And the holy flip led him he says, to the section on which my eyes first fell, Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. This is old English, so bear with me. I'll let you look it up on your own. But the, the passage says this, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Instantly, at the end of this sentence, by a light infused into my heart, all the darkness of doubt vanished away. That is the power of the gospel. Chuck Colson, one of the, one, one of the influential figures for me and probably for many of you in our faith journey, 
Chuck Colson, one of the key players in the Watergate scandal and, and the, the Nixon impeachment so many years ago, heard the gospel in its fullness from a friend. And as his ivory tower place in the cabinet of Richard Nixon, as his political influence world was crumbling all around him, the power of the gospel demolished his pride and his self-sufficiency. As he tells the story, he left the house of his friend who had just shared the gospel with him, and he sat in his car on a rainy night, and he realized that the gospel was leading him to the end of himself and was leading him to the foot of the cross of Christ. There in the car that night with the rain pouring down, he gave his life to Christ, and you know that he later was used by God to start prison fellowship and to influence an entire generation for Christ. You see, that is the power of God. When our church first sent its team to Romania many years ago, Sandy and I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with a young couple in a park in Craiova, Romania. They had never heard the gospel before. They had never, never opened a Bible before in all their life. They had never understood its truths or, or, or heard its truths. It was all news to them. But they were curious. But they were unaware of their need for Christ. As they sat there and listened to Sandy and I present the gospel to them through a translator, I watched them physically change before our eyes. Their countenance and their physical appearance actually transformed visibly. I don't know whatever became of them, but for that day, the gospel pierced their hearts and their lives and they gave their lives to Jesus Christ. That is the power of the gospel. Over a period of weeks and months, I watched our language teacher in Romania take in the gospel and argue with Sandy and I and our family. We had great conversations around the dinner table. But he argued from an atheistic, evolutionary point of view. And then one night during our weekly Bible study gathering, he and his wife were there, and a friend of ours from Lakeville came, was visiting, and he led the Bible study. And he went around the room and he pointed his finger at every person. He said, what will you do with this gospel? And our friend Ati, our friend Ati, in that moment, gave his life to Jesus Christ. And from that moment on, their marriage was transformed and their family was dedicated to the Lord Jesus. We watched their lives change right before us. That's the power of the gospel. I spoke to Pastor Christy this morning from our partner church in Pitesh, Romania. He gave me an update on things that are happening over there with our sister church. And I said, so how was, okay, it's, it's afternoon. They're eight hours ahead of us. So he's, he's had church and he's home relaxing already. I told him we were having a snowstorm. He said, oh, that's funny. I'm going to plant grass seed tomorrow. <laughs> he said, how, Christy, how was church today? Tell me about church this morning at Adonatus Barat Sevilla. He said, Mike, it was, it was amazing. It was remarkable. Mike, do you remember Elena Maria? And I said, yes, I'm friends with her on Facebook. I, I don't know her personally, but I know of her, and I know a little bit of her story. Elena Maria came to Christ, and Christy reminded me this morning. He said, you know, 16 years ago, Elena Maria came to know Christ. And I have pictures of her. He said, I, I showed pictures this morning to the congregation 
of her getting baptized in the river 16 years ago. Since then, she has committed her life to Jesus Christ and to the gospel message. He said today, she came as a missionary to Mozambique, and she shared what God is doing through her ministry in Mozambique. And over these 16 years, not only has she become a missionary, but she's become the leader of a team, and she travels all over Europe telling what God is doing in Mozambique. You see, that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. Over the years, I've seen people work through impossible issues of forgiveness. I've seen marriages restored. I've seen the poison of bitterness turned into forgiveness and peace. Just recently, we attended a welcome home from jail party as we celebrated a life touched by the gospel. I heard someone else tell of thanking a police officer for intervening in their life. That is the power of the gospel. And as the Holy Spirit works, he knows exactly where to place this power. He knows exactly where to place this dynamite for its maximum effectiveness. And as the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So what do we do with this? Before the foundations of the earth were laid, God laid out the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has come to us from the very heart and the throne of God. It has come as a personal and powerful gift to each one of us and to the world. The power of the gospel brings faith, it brings life, and it brings hope. And as we consider the, the concept of organic outreach, and as we turn our hearts and our passions towards reaching others from Christ for Christ, we can be encouraged by the fact that we have been called to deliver this, <clears throat> this gift of eternal life to others. Think of it. You have not only received this precious gospel of Jesus Christ, but you have been entrusted to share it with others. You are the messenger. You are the beautiful feet of the gospel whether it's by life and example or by sharing these truths one at a time or whether it's the opportunity to share it all in one sitting, you've been entrusted with this very precious gift. So my prayer is that each one of us would, would comprehend the, the precious nature of this gift that has been given to us through Jesus Christ, that we would walk in the fullness of it in our own lives, that we would allow the, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to break the strongholds in our life, but that we would also be faithful ambassadors, as Paul calls it, to this ministry of reconciliation to others. Whether you're in elementary school or high school or whether you've been on the job for 40 years, it doesn't matter. We are called to be witnesses to Jesus Christ with this precious gospel. So go forth. I'll call the worship team up here as we close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we have just begun to understand and to comprehend this precious, precious gift that you have given to us. I pray that you would work on two fronts this week for us, that you would cause us to meditate on this great truth of Romans 1.16. That, that we, like Paul, would be able to stand up and declare with heads held high, with flags 
waving high a banner over us. May it be the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we, as Paul has said, we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the dynamite for salvation. So, Lord Jesus, may we proudly walk in the fullness of that. May we allow it to transform our lives to begin with, and may that be seen by a world that is hurting. Lord, as we have seen in in these days, in these weeks, we have seen a world that is at war, a world that is is marked by division and chaos and, and uncertainty. The world needs this gospel message. And Lord Jesus, in our networks, in, our, in, the, in the world that in which we live, each one of us individually, may we be ambassadors for this great gospel message. And may the world around us be transformed because of your work, your truth, and your grace poured out in abundance. Lord Jesus, use us. And I pray that this room, that these hallways would be full of of people that we have not even met yet who will come and share with us the power of your grace and your gospel. Lord, we look forward to those days. May your name be made great. May you use us as your tools for the sake of your gospel. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and sing together. And all those stories that Mike was talking about, this transformation, it was not them. It was Christ in them. Um, so the power, the dynamite of the gospel can be, could be said as yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's sing together. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me.
Say. 